Thank you, Dylan, for the permission. Welcome to the Movies to Watch Before You Die podcast. My name is Gab, and I am here with my cousin and co-host. Dylan. And we have a very special guest on the podcast today. Today, joining us all the way from, I mean, how far you must you be from me? 30 minutes Less tops? than a mile? Yeah. Less than a mile? So. Yeah. Um, oh, Astoria. That's actually further than I was thinking. But I suppose geographically, that's like less We're than right a mile. right across the river. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, close. Um, You have heard his emails come through. You've heard his opinions on many things. And today he's here to talk about a movie that he believes is one to watch before you die. Our guest, the one and only Scott in Toronto. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Wow. Thank you so much for that lovely intro and for having me uh, to talk yeah. about Moonstruck. Uh, yeah, I did have, you know, a, a lot of a lot of options of things that I wanted to make you guys watch, including, I think you mentioned it the other week. <laughs> Uh, smoking the bandit which i yeah. think would have been a lot of fun i've never uh, seen yeah. it i would have been down to watch any uh oh my god i can't remember his name burt reynolds. reynolds any burt reynolds movie thank you you know i've uh, seen that movie my mom made me watch that movie when i was in like eighth grade yeah it's a great movie. and i gotta tell you i was like i don't understand why you forced me to do this <laughs> i also really thought hard about making you guys watch teen beach movie um uh, which is one of my that. favorite films of all time but well i mean I we figured, did talk about you know, the lizzie mcguire movie it's got to be the same thing right more or less i've never seen the lizzie mcguire movie so i can't comment on that oh my I god i know that's shocking it is it's shocking i know you're okay that's crazy you're fine yeah you're not really missing much <laughs> um but yeah so it 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 seems to me like you're on a kick of watching nicholas cage movies is that correct that's true. I'm. Uh, uh, there's a book by uh, film writer Keith Phipps called The Age of Cage. And so this year I've been reading that book and watching the films along with it. Not every single movie, but, you know, the big ones. Um, and so um, this was actually this year, earlier this year, was the first time I saw Moonstruck while I was going through that journey. And it's great. I mean, early Cage is so special. He's so weird. Um, and weirdly reminiscent of Timothy Chalamet, or I guess the other mm. way around, but um, yeah, all like the pre-action stuff is really interesting. I mean, the the action stuff is great too, but um, yeah, Moonstruck, he hits yeah, his stride with the action stuff. I think. Yeah, I mean, he um, it's kind of weird because he wins the Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas, which is like a really small, low budget. Um, indie movie and then right after that does like the rock and con air and face off just like all back to back to back to back um, yeah. he really just says like fuck it i'm gonna that's like his mainstream coming out moment i feel like those three yeah. movies yeah con air oh, is yeah. so good yeah. it's so good i'm ashamed to admit i've never seen con air oh God you know what movie it. i did not realize came out the same year as this though raising arizona what? which is oh yeah phenomenal never seen it it's so good. That's great. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, number one, let's keep in mind that on this podcast, the only Nicolas Cage movie that's really at the top of the top is Vampire's Kiss. Yeah, which is an incredible film. And I, I list, so I watched it again for this journey that I've been doing. Then I listened to your podcast about it and I was seething mad. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because because you guys didn't get it and i was like what what are they missing why don't they get this movie and then thankfully i saw that there was like an addendum episode yes. where, where you yes. corrected your issues 
it very much couldn't... reminds me of when we talked about Josie and the P- Pussycats recently. And I was talking about all the reviewers who did not understand the movie. And then like I was watching it, not understanding. And it took me like a half hour in to be like, oh, it clicked. And I feel like that's exactly yeah. what happened with Vampire's Kiss, where it was like, what is this? And it just took us a long time to process it. We had to sit and ruminate with it for a minute until yeah. it finally like erupted. Well, yeah. I I just felt like every time I like saw a homeless person, I was like, I feel like there's something that I'm I'm missing, <laughs> something that happened. And then finally I said to my boyfriend, like, you have to watch this with me. I cannot live in this world where only I know and you don't get it. Like, you need to be in this reality with me. And we watched yeah. it and then it was just like, holy shit, this is a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. So that's always going to be our number one Nicolas Cage movie. But I am excited to introduce another one. So let's get right into it. Um, Scott, because this was your pick, why don't you tell the listeners what this movie is about? Or I suppose like the the spoiler free version that would match the IMDb. Now, I know it's in the title. But can I first just say we have not even said the title of the movie we're talking about. today? We're talking about the 19th. No, we did not. We were talking about no, several Nicolas not. Cage movies, but we did not. You're say, both gonna feel stupid when you listen about... back to this. Well, we'll see, because I'm gonna have to edit at some point. We're talking about the 1987 film Moonstruck. And we'll see if I'm not stupid, I'm going to call Gab stupid right now. I'm actually gonna make a cut of this podcast and just say Gab is stupid. No, nope, because so. you're gonna cut out the part where Scott says, Yeah, I'm here. I'm excited to talk about Moonstruck to make me sound dumb. Oh fuck. No, if that I is there, remember. if that is there, I, I will remember. replay it three times in a row. And that's how we know. Either way, I've created more work for myself now. Wow, thank you so much for that lovely intro and for having me uh, to talk about Moonstruck. Uh, To talk about Moonstruck. Moonstruck. And now, Scott, you can tell us what Moonstruck is about. What's this all been about? What am I working toward? You think you know everything about me, don't you? I die, but you're a bummer. I bloody well ought to. Moonstruck is about a uh, divorced woman played by Cher uh, in Brooklyn Heights in the Bronx. Uh, in... <laughs> Why did what? I say that? Cut that. In Brooklyn. Brooklyn Not Heights in that. Brooklyn. <laughs> no, Dylan cuts nothing. So <laughs> Brooklyn Heights in Brooklyn. She's in a, a close Italian family. And uh, this older guy that she's dating proposes to her. They decide to get married. He goes to Italy to deal with his uh, dying mother. And uh, tasks her with reuniting him with his uh, estranged brother, and she goes to meet this estranged brother, played by Nicolas Cage, and uh, maybe they fall in love. And it's a beautiful and charming exploration of love, fidelity, the moon, and opera. Moonstruck. Mm. I, like I do want to say really there. quickly before we move on it is important to note that in vampire's kiss when nicholas cage goes to the bronx he does go over the brooklyn bridge and it's all very confusing so i'm gonna give you a, a pass on that thank you but the real question is who wins in a fight vampire nicholas cage or one-handed italian nicholas cage no i mean vampire nicholas cage every time you idiot yeah, I think so. Has he eaten yeah. a bug yet or not? That was the second question that you both forgot to ask. <laughs> sure, sure. Shame on us. So, um, all right, Dill, tell us what IMDb has to say. The IMDb, IMDb plot summary, Loretta Casserini, a bookkeeper from Brooklyn, New York, finds herself in a difficult situation when she falls for the brother of the man she has agreed to marry. Do you want to hear the taglines? Hmm. Yes. You know, I don't, but I suppose I don't have a choice. 
Okay, there's technically only one tagline, but I also watched the trailer and there was another tagline in there that I'm going to say too. So the only tagline that IMDb has is life, family, love. Okay, that's a TJ Maxx piece of wall art if I've ever heard one. (laughs) Um, The tagline from the trailer is, and this is actually very close to another tagline, which I want to see if you can remember what movie tagline this is close to. They say there's nothing new under the sun, but under the moon, that's another story. Ooh, I like that. That is nice. Now, I like that Um, more, but I also like it because it's very similar to another movie we covered. I don't know. What is it? The tagline for the movie Tremors is, there's nothing new under the sun, but under the ground. Interesting. Are there a lot of people just like... That's a great tagline. It's so good. There's got to be like three people that write taglines. (laughs) I did like that secondary Moonstruck one better. Said by like the Agreed. movie voice guy. Agreed. All right. So what do we do? Do we give a little bit more context or do we just roll into opinion time? That's totally up to you two. I think there's not much more context to give because it's not a very plot heavy movie. It's just about yeah. Loretta and the brother of the man she has agreed to marry falling right. in love while he is away. And what what will come of that? And obviously there is major subplots going on, but we can talk about that more as we talk about our opinions. Yeah. All right. So, well, Scott, since you were very firm in your decision to talk about this movie, why don't you give us a couple of uh, key points as to why you believe this is a movie to watch before you die? Um. Well, I feel like we should save Nicolas Cage for little into the cage of it all. Um, so outside of that, I guess maybe we'll start with the opera aspect of it. So sure. this film centers around or or sort of infused by the Puccini opera uh, La Boheme. Uh, the movie actually starts opening credit montage is um, sets being loaded into the Metropolitan Opera House, which at first mm-hmm. you're sort of like, what is, you know, why is this happening? Um but I think it sort of it sets a tone from the beginning that like this opera is somehow central to the plot. Um, and as the movie goes on, we get more and more of it. When she first goes to Nicolas Cage, Ronnie's apartment, he's playing La Boheme on a record. Um, and then he eventually invites her to go on a date to see the opera. At that. Which just an interesting fun fact um, that production of La Boheme ha- is the same production that they still do. So if you go and they do it basically every season, if you go to the Met, which my girlfriend and I did earlier this year after watching Moonstruck, um, you will be the same exact production with the same sets and choreography and staging that they see in this movie. Um, it's the, uh, the same production we've been doing for like 40, 50 years, which is kind of wow. cool. Um, but yeah, so then like more and more of the score is sort of taken over by the music from La Boheme, um, either like actual music from the opera or sort of uh, arrangements of pieces from the opera. Um, and I think that's just cool. It's a cool framing. The, the stories don't really match up that well, although they're both centered on love and fate and uh, hardship. But um, I don't know. It's cool. And, and Cher looks really beautiful when she goes sees that opera. That was a question I was going to ask. And once you had said that you did see La Boheme, I was going to say, is there more of a crossover there? Um, But it doesn't sound like there's too much there there besides they're both like love stories and there's conflict, which every love story should have some conflict. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I do think it's important just to share for any viewer, viewer, any listener who maybe is unfamiliar. um, Haha. Very good. That um, La Boheme is the opera that the musical Rent is based on. So for all of our, you know, Midwestern musical lovers, that's how uh, that's the connection. That has just blown my fucking mind because I did not know. Really? I did not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you if you go and see La Boheme, you like the bones are there, like the characters are there, the the beats are very similar. Yeah, it's I tuberculosis also... instead of HIV, etc. Yeah. I also might <laughs> be basically... mixing it up, but I know Hey Arnold covered an opera in it, and I can't remember if it's Carmen or La Boheme. I think it's, it's Carmen. Carmen. Oh, yeah. Damn it. Yeah, the other opera that you just like somehow know from. Know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what what opera did we see? Because I've only ever seen one opera, and it was with you. Me? She's not talking to me. Yeah. yeah. No, it definitely wasn't you, <laughs> oh. Dylan. <laughs> yeah, you and I oh, watched yeah, the, the was... Hey Arnold Carmen. That sounds right. right. Yeah. I no, I just forgot about that. But no, it was it was at actually the New York Phil, and it was um I don't remember. It was like a it was a more contemporary, it was a weird one. It, it was, was like there were a lot of costumes and it was like funny, but I was like, everyone's laughing. This isn't Italian. You don't you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. um yeah okay i don't remember what it was called yeah that was a side note um okay so yeah i like that the opera um obviously you have a background in um music composition so opera is something that you're very familiar with it's something that you probably understand better than the average music fan i I suppose marginally okay Okay. marginally with opera or marginally in general because i feel like you definitely have a much better musical understanding than either Gab or I do. We're we are musical yeah, plebeians. <laughs> Marginally in opera. I don't want to call myself an opera expert. Okay. okay. All right. But it is important to note that you do write the music for the 90 Day Fiance series. Well, I write some music that gives you use on 90 Day Fiance. And you know what? Another thing that I write music for this fucking podcast. And I feel like it <laughs> doesn't get mentioned a lot. It's on not you're right. Enough. You're right. You're right. And I composed the, the theme music for this podcast. You're right. And you did it for me in, I mean, three days tops. Like it was like, hey, Dylan and I are doing a podcast. Would you mind? And then I had options and it was really great. Um, but as somebody who is like actively watching 90 Day Fiance, it is so much more exciting to me to think like, because sometimes the music is very heavy handed and I'm like, oh, my God. Um, well, so we it's, don't it's... we don't we don't do like any score to picture. It's just we write music oh. and give it to them and they use whatever they want. That's so oh. disappointing because I picture you yeah. in a sound booth like in Forgetting Sarah Marshall when he's yes. doing, <laughs> when he's doing the music for the crime show. And he's like, do, 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 do. Yes. When, when yes, I yes, when yes. I meet people and I tell them that's what I do, I use that scene. I'm like, you know, in Sarah Marshall where he's like playing the one ominous note. It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um all right. Well, anyway, yes, the music for this podcast very important. Um, what uh, what else? Well, I want to hear from you guys. What do you well, think? Well, about it this? sounds like I, what we need to do right now is get into official opinion time. Is that what we need? We've to do? been in opinion. I time. thought we've been there. We didn't say it. We need to say the <laughs> where. How do I know where to put the cut? How do I know where to put the cut, guys? Okay. <laughs> Nobody's thinking right. of what Dylan has to edit this motherfucker. <laughs> okay, opinion time. In this critic's opinion... You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. I'll start with my opinion. Here's something that made me very uncomfortable. Everyone is so ugly. What? I, I think was you just have so a problem with the 1980s, then. 
No, I had yeah. a problem with her parents. I had a problem with all of her aunts and uncles. I had a problem with her. And I definitely had a problem with Nicolas Cage, who looked like he was a vampire Nicolas Cage, but like potentially going to shift into a werewolf, uh, a werewolf when the full moon hit. I thought this was definitely about to be a werewolf movie. I'm shocked. Let me talk Dylan, very positively about two characters in this movie. Because there's only two characters who I think are fully likable fully 100 they are doing nothing but great stuff raymond and rita and i had to pay attention to hear their names because they are a couple that i just found adorable and i was like if anything happens to raymond and rita in this fucking movie i'm gonna be devastated <laughs> fair <laughs> they were just there at wow. times too they were there like cosmos moon and i'm like look at you looking at that moon you're great and yeah. then uh, then he fucked his wife good for him yeah <laughs> yes he really did. and he let everyone know um, I, yeah, I was well, uncomfortable even, with even how Olympia ugly they Dukakis, were. The mom, you, she's very beautiful. She was beautiful. It, uh, the Cosmo was just disgusting, and so was Johnny, the guy she was supposed to marry. Yeah, I mean, from, uh, what do you want from this? Is what people look like. Uh... I don't yeah. know. It just made me uncomfortable. But also, like, there was something about the Italianness that felt so inauthentic where it was like, you could tell that they were not trying to be caricatures of Italian people, but it was like, this is almost worse than being a caricature because it's not, it's like, it's like just a little left of center. You know what I mean? And like, I'm from an Italian family, Scott, you're from an Italian family. Like you have to understand that this is like not like, I understand that they're from Italy, so it's a little different, but they were also trying to be, like, they're New Brooklyn, York Italian. Yeah. I don't know. It right. just felt like, no. As the one person here who's not from, like, from a super Italian family, they felt very Italian to me. Like, they felt very yeah, realistically but... Italian. That could have been Thanksgiving with your, your, the uncle side of the family there. I was like, you yeah, know, I can see it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I disagree. It's a lot, and it's also, I mean, it should be noted that it is written by John pa Patrick Shanley, not Italian. It is directed by Norman Jewison, not Italian. So, and like Olympia Dukakis, Cher, not Italian. Uh, Nicholas Cage, uh, oh Italian. No, Italian. Yes, Coppola. Yeah. Nicholas Coppola. Yeah, yes. yeah. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I don't know. That didn't bother me because I think. I think so much about this movie is sort of fantastical and or not fantastical, but it's like heightened. It's it's operatic, right? I mean, why does why why does he have one hand? It's crazy, you know? Oh and, yeah. And like the ages don't make sense. I feel like there's a lot that you just sort of have to be like, this is like a bigger than life sort of thing, even though it is played kind of as a, a very grounded. Um, I think, you know, you gotta just embrace the cartoonishness of the their italian culture yeah yeah it i think if you get to the point like... where you're thinking about the ages you're overthinking it yeah yeah it felt a little bit like my big fat greek wedding but yeah italian yeah a massive hit yeah, yeah. they're making a yeah. third my big fat greek wedding for christ's sake i know yeah. but no joey fatone what's the point no joey fatone um but just a quick very quick note on the ages um Cher looks great she's 30 or she's i think 40 Something when they film this movie, her character is supposed to be 37. She passes very well. Um, Nicolas Cage is fully 23 years old when they make this movie, um, yeah. but looks so much older. And I guess it's supposed to be, I don't know, at least in his 30s. And 30 years younger than his older brother. 
Right, that's the thing. His his older brother is, you know, I think maybe 50 or something when they made this movie. So it really, yeah, you can't think too hard about it. So yeah. Cher was 41 when the movie came out. Nicolas Cage was 23. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, Nicolas Cage looks older than his age enough and Cher looks younger than her age enough. But yeah. I never questioned the two of them. Yeah, but it yeah. was the, the relationship with the brother that was questionable. Well, right. the movie barely establishes that relationship, I feel like. And they very quickly establish like, do you love him? Nah. Like, no. He's <laughs> very quick. Yeah. To be like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was very uncomfortable with how ugly everybody was. I was very uncomfortable with the Italianness. I was also very I just uncomfortable. Picture Gab walking down the street of everyday life, going, "Why is everyone so ugly?" Like, <laughs> I do. I really do. Exist, Gab. People are really? people. I'm like, how dare you be ugly? Um, no, but you know what it is like. It just felt like if you're making a movie, right, there's a certain level of of attractiveness that you want your cast to have because people aspire to be like this. And if you're going to do a movie about regular people, I mean, you know, you typically like think about how many movies you've seen about regular people. I mean, don't look at me like I'm a bad person. I'm still saying it. I am looking and- at you like, do you hear yourself? I hear myself. I, you know, there's a reason that they don't make movies with people that look like you and I, Dylan, because we are not attractive. But I don't want to watch a movie with regular people. Oh, my God. Uh, Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Everyone was ugly. And if I have a problem with that, that's fine. Now, here's the thing I had a really big problem with. And this is about to derail the whole podcast. So hold on to your fucking hats, people. Oh, no. From the moment we meet him, Nicolas Cage is doing the most. He is out here waiting oh, for his oh, Oscar. What did you expect? Have you ever? Wait, I'm going to hire Nicolas Cage. I don't want him to do the most. What are we talking about? Nobody I hires am, Nicolas Cage. That's what give, he does. give me subtle Cage. <laughs> I just like couldn't believe it. I was like, this is Vampire's Kiss, except... Maybe he will turn into a werewolf instead of a vampire. I can't believe it. And then I was like, we really gave Cher an Oscar for this? Because frankly, she just happens to be acting opposite Nicolas Cage and seeming kind of normal. Now, I disagree with a lot of what you said there. I very much disagree with everything you said about Nicolas Cage because we've talked about Vampire's Kiss 17 goddamn times on this podcast. And the fact that you were like, what's Nicolas Cage doing here? What were you (laughs) expecting? I just maybe I'm still fresh in this Nicolas Cage thing and Vampire's Kiss makes sense. The movie as a whole, like this movie is not at all similar to Vampire's Kiss. I was like, oh, this is a, uh, it's going to be this like nice little romance movie. And then there's Nicolas Cage like my hand. I was like, what is yeah, happening? He lost his hand. He lost his bride. Johnny has, has his bride. Hand. <laughs> it was cra- it was crazy. I totally disagree, wow. and I, I feel like I'm getting the same vibe from Scott on your Nicolas Cage point of view, but I will say Go I ahead. totally agree about Cher. I'm that everyone's a li- ugly. I'm a little shocked that sh- no, I No, don't put those <laughs> words in my mouth. I do agree, though, about Cher winning the Oscar. I'm kind of like, in retrospect, I'm like, I guess. I'm like, what was the competition that year? Which Yeah, I so, so I have it pulled up. Um and, and it is controversial because I think she's good in this movie, but but I agree she's not really the standout. She beat Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction, what? Holly Hunter in Broadcast News, South Kirkland and Anna, and Meryl Streep in Iron Beat. Which Meryl Glenn Streep, Close I get, she's probably gets, should she's have not... won that Oscar. Exactly what I was about to say. It should have been Glenn Close. 
That's a sham. But am, well, I, am I mad that Cher has an Oscar? No. Didn't Cher win an Oscar for Beaches? That's Madonna. I, I don't know that to be true. Yeah. <laughs> Who's Beaches? Yeah. Um, that's not Madonna. Beaches. It's Cher, I think. I've never seen it, but it's definitely not Cher. It's Bette Midler. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Someone yes. younger is well, in the that The star movie. of Beaches is Bette Midler. And there, no Madonna, no Cher. I don't know what you're looking for here. You are flat out wrong. And uh, and well, no one won an Oscar for it. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> Ain't that a beach? <laughs> um, all right. Well, I just, I, I, I guess I'm just still growing more familiar with Nicolas Cage. I absolutely, because I, I also thought that there was a conversation about Nicolas Cage being nominated for an Oscar for this movie or being shocked that he wasn't nominated for an Oscar for this movie. He was, he was snubbed. Yeah. He was not nominated. Yeah. Which is crazy because he's so bad. It feels like everyone else in this movie got nominated for an Academy Award, though. For yeah. what? Sharon Dukakis won. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other guy, the the dad, was nominated for a supporting actor, which I also think is a little strange. But yeah, I mean, he's um, good. I'm like, I'm I'm fine with him being yeah. nominated. I'm glad he did not win. Right. That's crazy. Um, I I gotta hear more from Dylan because I can't handle these opinions. Go oh, ahead, yeah. Dill. Tell him. Tell the man how you feel. You know what's the thing that really stands out to me? Um, I don't know why this is. I, I feel like maybe it's just some of the things I've been watching in like the past week. But when I was watching Moonstruck right in the beginning, you forget that everything that is set in New York before the year two thousand and one was like here's the Twin Towers. Everything had yes. to show the Twin Towers, and you're just yeah. like, oh, yeah. Um. Side note: Have you seen the the? I think it's from Instagram. Corey sent it to me, or maybe I sent it to Corey. Either way, it's a it's a clip of a comedian, and he's saying it's really interesting to me that the tagline for 9-11 is never forget, because I'm hard-pressed to believe there's someone staring at the skyline going, I'm pretty sure there used to be two buildings there. (laughs) So I think about that every time. (laughs) You know what I want to mention, too, based on something that uh, you were saying, Scott? I find it very funny to compare Nicolas Cage to Timothy Chalamet because I feel like Timothy Chalamet is so of the moment. And to me, Timothy Chalamet does not have, I, I don't know. There's, there's a, a TikTok that just showed me where it's somebody going, I don't remember who they're talking about, but they go, that's just another Timothy Chalamet. And I'm like, Timothy Chalamet to me is so generic, like popular, good looking actor of 2023. You know what I yeah. mean? And Nicolas yeah, Cage I... to me is like, Forever. iconic he's evergreen yeah. yes but i think you have to like put it in that context of like like nicholas cage now is iconic right but he's 23 in this movie right like t- yeah. timmy is not much older than that and i think he does have like that kind of air about him as like just another like skinny good-looking white guy but like the movie sees like you know his performance in call me by your name is like electrifying He's done other like, you know, he I'm not saying he's as good as Nicolas Cage. He could be in the future. Um, But I think there's just something about like his speech pattern and his look that just it just reminds me of young Cage. And I didn't think that until I started doing this Nicolas Cage journey and especially like in Valley Girl, 
Um, he's very Chalamet in that. Maybe I need to watch more movie. Timothy Chalamet because I've seen a lot of Nicolas Cage and I, I'm like, that's not clicking for me. Yeah. Scott, could you quickly just explain? So it's it's in very plain English. The Nicolas Cage thing, because I feel like I'm I'm missing something where yeah. he's a Coppola. He wants to be an actor. He does a lot of crazy shit and he's kind of bad, but we all just accept him as good and just let him rock. Like, oh I, I just God. need clarity. Yeah, I'm going to try my best to to to. Look, this is something that people write entire books about, right? Yeah. Nicolas Cage. There's another one coming out this that I just pre-ordered about Nicolas Cage. <laughs> but um, I think what attracts me to his performance style is that it is over the top, right? Like, there are plenty of actors who do really good naturalistic acting, and that's great. Like, I really love... Like, Ethan Hawke is probably my favorite actor. He's, like, a very naturalistic actor. Yeah. Um, Nicolas Cage is like the opposite of that. And I think a lot of times when people say like, oh, he's bad, it's because you're sort of like have this rubric in your head of like what an actor is supposed to be, which is very naturalistic because that's a lot of like what particularly American film um, strives for. Yeah. Uh, whereas he's just doing something different. He's like a very expressionistic actor. He's very over the top. And I think, you know, that doesn't work for every film. And I see the argument about why it wouldn't work in a film like this, which is more grounded. But I think to me, it just like, if I'm watching a movie, like I know I'm watching a movie and I don't need to be like tricked. I mean, some, again, like I really, I love naturalistic film as well, but it doesn't bother me. And it really excites me even like when a performance is like just batshit crazy. And yeah. he's always going 110%. And even like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't find it bad. I find it just like committed to the text, right? Like in this movie, again, like I said earlier, it's like very operatic, this plot. He's like, he has this fight with his brother because he he was in love and then he lost his hand and, and you know, or maybe he intentionally mutilated his own hand and, you know, it's he's this tortured bread maker. You know, it's all very silly. Um, yeah. And I think the performance that he's bringing to it is appropriately over the top and silly. I mean, he's, I think, treating it like an opera character would, which is like, I'm I'm over the top and he can't sing because this is not an opera, but instead of singing, his performance style is just like, I'm going to make it so big that the people in the back of the room can, can hear my, my singing, except my singing is my over the top acting, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And Absolutely. I think it also, um, explains why it's so like hard for me to process because I was trained it, with the Meisner technique, which is so hyper realistic and very focused on being like essentially a piece of furniture, right? Like you're just so blended in with the scene and it just makes so much sense that you would never do anything out of context or anything that is not like, you know, really supported by the text that would seem crazy. Even a strong choice is one that would be completely explicable. And so to see somebody like, it's like, I can't, yeah. I, I can't, but like that would never fly. You know, if you watch any yeah. interview with Nicolas Cage, he talks so frequently about Germanic expressionism and yeah, it's clear. Like I was watching Shout something behind Pedro. the scenes for this. Yes. Um, and he, he talked about specifically that, that moment where he's talking about, I lost my bride. I lost my hand. 
is specifically referencing from Metropolis, which I believe is from like the 1920s or early 30s. And it's a German film. And there's literally like they show it side by side. Somebody from that movie doing the exact same pose. And he was just like, I just want to fit that in somewhere in there. And I feel like it reminds me of I know that there was a moment we talked about Vampire's Kiss where he said, I just wanted to see if I could do that. And it's like, yeah. He wanted to say boohoo while he was yeah. crying in Vampire's Kiss. That's what it was. Yeah. And he literally yes. boohoo. But like it just feels I think, like it makes more sense in that context versus like a rom-com. Yeah, but I think again, like why I find it so appealing in this movie is because so like, you know, we start the movie, we're with Cher. She's like got this boyfriend who she doesn't really love. She's like more like a mom to him. She's like taking care of him, making sure he eats the right thing before a flight. It's this very like practical kind of whatever, you know, she's divorced. She's been through her thing. She still lives with her parents. You know, it's just all this very like humdrum stuff. And then she goes and meets this guy who she thinks is just another like routine errand that she needs to run. She's going to go and say, Hey, your brother wants you to come to his wedding. And she goes there and she instead meets this guy who's, fucking insane and he's in he's in a basement with fire and bread and he's screaming about his wooden hand and like it's so over the top and i think it's like you know it it's so different from her life and that's why she's so captivated by it i think it makes it more believable why she's like so you know taken by this guy because he's so out of left field and that's why his performance does work so well because he represents all the passion that she does not currently have in a relationship. And he is bringing that passion out of her, which is why I thought by the end that she'd be more like him with the bravado and the over the topness. And she never really, she doesn't get there, but to me, that's why I'm like, Oh, Nicholas cage makes sense. And he's the only, it makes sense that he's the only one doing it in the movie because he is different from everyone else in this movie as a character. On that note, there are a couple of things that I want to discuss regarding the, just like the plot around these characters relationships. Um, I really am a fan of films like A Sleepless in Seattle or even like a to an extent a You've Got Mail where characters don't necessarily know each other but just have this feeling like I am in love with you. But I don't get that from these two where it doesn't feel like, you know, they they meet for the first time. She goes back to his apartment. They have sex and he is like, I'm in love with you. And she's like, no, 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 no. Um. And it just feels like then they go to the opera and she's like, yep, I'm in love with you, too. And I'm like, you couldn't even talk during the opera. Like, what do you mean? I just I don't see where the relationship I don't see where they were able to establish that connection, even if it is so um, like just deeply rooted where it's hard to explain. There's never a moment where I feel like she understands that she loves him. It just feels like, well, he's better than this fat guy. Yeah, I think that is part of it, but I, you know, it's it's like what Dylan was just saying is he's he's representing something, all the passion that she doesn't have in her life, and like with the, the moment where they kiss that first time, she's, you know, doing her thing where she's like uh, explaining to him what he is like, and he's she's talking about how he's a wolf and all this kind of stuff, and how you know maybe he hurt his own hand because he wanted to get out of that relationship or whatever. Um, and he becomes overwhelmed with this passion for her, I think, because he is like um, uh, sees her as a suddenly like an equal someone who could stand up to him in a way that other people can't. And then I think she becomes smitten with the same thing, you know, it's and 
I don't know. Maybe I'm not making full sense, but I think I keep coming back to just like the operatic quality of it of like, I yeah. don't know, like they just, yeah, they meet and they fall in love. Like that's just what happens. Yeah. You know? I don't totally well, what about- buy it, but I do so agree with what you're saying in the sense that like, I, Gab, I felt the same way that I was like, these two have known each other for two fucking days. And he's like, by the end of the movie, I'm like, how long have they known each other? And he's like, we're getting married. But like, there is this extent where <laughs> you get it because like you said, it just feels like he immediately gets this feeling from her. Like she sees me and like, she gets me and he sees her and he gets her. Yeah. Do yeah, I buy I it? Mean, I don't know, but I, I, I got the, the vibe that it was going for. How about the relationship if- between her parents? Well, that's what I was just going to bring up, because what I think is really interesting about this love story between the two of them um, is that in the background of that love story is like all this infidelity going on. Right. So her dad is cheating on his his wife on on her mom. Um, her mom doesn't necessarily go all the way there, but clearly like has this date with this this guy, um, John Mahoney, who's he's so good in this. John Mahoney's um, great. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the other couple that you mentioned don't have any infidelity and thank God for them, you know, but, um, but it's all just sort of like swirling around and, and the mom character, Olympia Dukakis keeps having this conversation about like, why do men do this? Like, why do men cheat or why do men chase women in this sort of like, um, concept that she has about like men fearing death. And wanting to, you know, chase other women because they are afraid of their own mortality or whatever. Um, yeah. And I think all of that, like, makes this, it's an interesting um, context for for the Ronnie and, and Loretta character to fall in love. And, like, you know, she's asked at the beginning after she tells her mom that she's going to marry Johnny, the, the original guy. Her mom says, do you love him? And Cher immediately says, no. And, and her mom is like, good. That's for the best. Like, love makes people do crazy shit, you know? And then at the end, when she's going to marry Ronnie, her mom says, "Do you, are you in love? And she says, yeah, I love him awful or something like that. Um, and her mom says, oh, God, that's such a nightmare. Right. But I think it's an interesting, like, thing that this movie is exploring about, like, passionate love versus, like, um practical love and and yeah. infidelity or monogamy or or the i don't know the sort of battles that we have with that over time and i don't know yeah one thing i did really enjoy was when johnny proposes to her at the beginning of the movie she's like you have to get down on one knee and he's like i'm gonna ruin my suit and she's like well you can't propose marriage <laughs> if you're not on your knees so he gets on his knees and she goes well where's the ring and he's like giving her his pinky ring and she's like you know i all right i guess and then later on at the end of the film when ronnie proposes to her he does not get down on one knee and doesn't have a ring and she says yes anyway and i just want to say on behalf of every woman everywhere absolutely not (laughs) um (laughs) but that is neither here nor there um i i can appreciate the tie-in um, and then, of course, he realizes he doesn't have a ring. I believe it's it's her father who says, where's the ring or something like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and like that. Yeah. he goes to Johnny, who just received his pinky ring back. Can I have that ring? And so she's back with the exact same <laughs> ring she had, which is not an engagement <laughs> ring. Um, it is this fat man's pinky ring. And she puts it on. <laughs> it is um, very strange that two men propose in this movie and neither one is remotely prepared for it. Like, yeah. it makes more sense yeah. with Ronnie, who is this character of passion. But with Johnny, you're like, 
no fucking plan at all, bro. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. At the same time, they're like, we'll get married a month from today. And I'm like, as somebody who got married, no, you won't. Yeah, no, you won't. That's yeah. insanity. I was wondering yeah. about that. Is that just like a an 80s thing? Like, do people not take a year and a half to plan a wedding? Like what? Because you guys have both been married. Then. You can't do yeah. that in a month. I no, think that's a ma- maybe that's inflation. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but like, there is no fucking shot that you're like planning an actual wedding in like a month. Well, it's it's interesting, though, because she does say that in her first marriage, they just went to City Hall and got married. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's not, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good idea. And then she's like, but it's bad luck. That's why it didn't work. You have to have a reception and you have to have a dress. And I was sitting there thinking, like, is that true? <laughs> is that like a thing? Because I, I from what I understand, it's the opposite. Like you spend all this money and have this big party and it's, that's not great. But I I do think that they were probably not referring to a wedding as we know today. They were probably referring to like, we're going to go to the church and then I'll go out to dinner. And that you can do in a month. Yeah. I do also feel like we talked briefly about the infidelity of this movie, which first to compare Rose's infidelity to Cosmo's infidelity, I think you were just saying them, but I'm like, these things are one of these things. It's not like the other. Oh, no, absolutely. Cosmo is clearly in an like a ongoing i don't know how long affair with this woman that he's buying gifts for and he's spending all this time with and rose has she's clearly lonely and knows what is up she knows that she's being cheated on which like i kept waiting for here comes the conflict and it like it sort of never really comes with its fists out you know what i mean um you you get the one moment where she is with john mahoney and she has one dinner with him and he clearly is like begging like hey let me see your place or hey come back to my place and she won't do it which made me really like her character um at the same time you have the grandfather passes by them with you know the five dogs right. or whatever it is um Love the five dogs and again i thought i was like okay. <laughs> you know what he is not picking up that shit oh you yeah. know he's not <laughs> he, he does yeah. not have a bag at all no yeah no way um <laughs> but you have this thing going on of okay, the grandfather saw her out with this guy. Is it now going to be them exploding and thinking that they're both having affairs? And at the end, she finally does call him out and she's like, you know, I think there's one moment where he says, like, I have nothing. And she says powerfully, you don't have nothing. And like, clearly in the sense of like, I love you and you have our family. Yeah. Yes. And it just goes more to show how wonderful Rose is and like nothing. I'm like, nothing happens to this man nothing like i was yeah i was like yeah this is not what should be happening he should be getting smacked across the face like what i agree and i also think that it was so interesting that she kept asking why do men chase women why are men why is there so much infidelity why are men never satisfied and it's like maybe if there was like a slight repercussion for your husband having a full-blown affair he wouldn't do it like it's because you're just you just let it happen. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I yeah, I, don't I know. mean, look, I I have a very different you know uh, stance on monogamy than than other people, but I I find it very sweet. You know, and she there are consequences. He she like puts him in his place. She says, "Stop doing that." And like, and he he has to, he doesn't even fight. Like, oh, I'm not cheating on you. He doesn't. He just accepts it. He smacks the table and then he sits down and he's like, okay, you know, she she makes the rules. But I think also like she is realizing whether she you know she's frustrated by it, but I think she also comes to it with that compassion of like, yeah, I understand. Like, he's not doing this because he doesn't love me. He's doing it because he's like 
a fucking whiny baby, you know, and he's a scared little boy. And not that that like made up for it or makes it better, but I think she's like, just like, you know, I don't know. I don't need to see her like kick his ass, I guess. It's also not enough about them, I guess, for that too. But I do really like the moment where Rose is talking to Johnny and she is saying that line again where she's going, why do men cheat? And Johnny like stumbles upon like, because they're afraid of death. And she's like, yeah, (laughs) thank you. Like, she's like, finally. And you have, it's one really good moment that like, there's a couple moments that do make me laugh, but I really did laugh when Cosmo walks in and she goes, Cosmo, you're going to die no matter what. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. I I think that um I I I think and maybe I'll regret this after I say it out loud and I hear what you guys say, but <laughs> off the top of my head right now, I think that there is just not in this film either of these two women who are sort of like the the two um biggest female characters, only female characters. Neither one of them is really particularly strong or taking control of their circumstance where Rose does say stop doing that and he just says okay but I don't think she really goes out of her way to say like I will not accept this in my home I will not like there's really no like what if he says no what are you gonna do and I do feel like Loretta Cher is really only with Ronnie at the end because Johnny says, hey, my mother isn't dying after all. I don't want to marry you. Whereas if he came home and said, okay, it's time to get married, she was just going to do that. So I don't really think either woman in this case is really like controlling her own destiny, you know? I agree with I think Rose. It's unclear I don't agree as much what... with Loretta. Yeah, I, I think it's unclear what she was going to do. She was definitely going to like, that's what they were there for. They were going to tell him what she was actually going to do. Cause I know once he eventually does come in and say, he's not going to marry her. Then she's mad that he's breaking his promise, even though she didn't want to marry him anyway. But yeah. I do think, I think she was going to say like, Hey, I want to be with your brother. Um, but I do agree. Yeah. I mean, things are happening to them more than they are making things happen. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I kind of yeah. feel that way for most of the characters. Like there's there's no character that has like an overwhelming amount of agency in this movie. You know what I mean? Oh, you yeah. know, you know, what's a moment that like I find it's equal amounts. I found this really funny. And also, wait, what's happening here? It's the first time we meet Ronnie in the basement of the bakery. And it's maybe my favorite line of the movie when he says, bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut <laughs> my throat. Like, I don't know why it just like it <laughs> yeah. caught me real fucking well. And you have this back and forth with this yeah. other employee, Chrissy. I think it was Chrissy. who's like, I won't do it. I'm not bringing you the big knife. But <laughs> yeah, she has this moment where she says, like, I love him to pieces or something like that. Like, she clearly admits how much she loves Ronnie. And then it's like, and you will never see her again. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, right. like, yeah. I, I'm sure that there was more to that, that they were like, snip, snip, cut that right out of the movie because they were like, you yeah. know what? We got to make this baby move. And she's not making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um that but I think very it's, much it's also just <laughs> But I, I think it's also just myself. sort wait, of like shows. Wait. Sorry. The big knife part? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Do you want to elaborate on that? I don't no, think yes. I feel like maybe that's weird. <laughs> if okay. you know, you know. There's do we just not, some men do we are not all dramatically are dramatic. like, I'm gonna kill myself today. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Today's the day. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, no, I think it also just shows that like he is not um alone for lack of options, right? It shows that like, oh, there are people who are still interested in him, even with his quote unquote mutilated hand. Um, which is, you know, important for Cher to be able to like call him out on his bullshit. Yeah. It feels like right now you and I are having a sword fight with Scott and we're like, here's what we think is wrong. And he's like trying to parry and he's like, no, <laughs> that's why this is there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know what? Sometimes you say something like you just said that. I was like, yeah, yeah, that fucking works. He's kind of right. I also yeah. another line I really like in that same scene. Um, he's sort of ranting and raving. He says, bread is life and I bake bread. <laughs> yes. I was like, I oh, really my that. God, what am I watching? <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, there was a lot of craziness. I think I also, so I will say this, the, the only context I had around this movie was that at, at one point during our Sleepless in Seattle episode, Scott, you wrote in and said that Dylan mentioned that Sleepless in Seattle seemed like a really good, um, prompt of write a love story where the two characters never meet or something like that. And right. you said that the closest thing to that would be Moonstruck. So when they met in the beginning, I was like, what? No, see, okay, I'm going to pull up my email because that's not what I said. Okay, please do. <laughs> I actually, I think but I, I have it right here. Um, That's why what I was, so was talking about was, yeah. No, characters you, you who hate me. each other at first. That's why it is so great when you get rom-coms like Moonstruck where the characters do not hate each other. And yes, I will come on the pod to talk about that movie. Oh, so now, they don't hate each other. Yes, they immediately meet each other and they immediately are like, oh, we're in love. Whereas in other rom-coms, yeah, I mean, there's tension. Yeah, there's tension at the beginning because of you know Ronnie being the way he is. I think in general, it's not like because a lot of rom-coms, the sort of it's not until like that third act where they admit that they love each other, right? And this is like the conflict is that they love each other, right? In the circumstances that they're not supposed to. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the tension is that they immediately know they love each other and they know they shouldn't love each other. Yeah. Yeah. Which, do they? I didn't really get that necessarily. Well, they're passionate about each other. Yeah, you get that from Loretta, that she knows that, like, this is wrong. Yeah. Like, I I can't remember what exactly she says when he's carrying her to bed, and she's like, oh, fine. You know, she's like, I know we shouldn't be doing this, but fine, do it. I don't care. She she says something that's, like, pretty sexy, I think, Um, or, or weird. Either way, um, she's talking about like, you know, take your anger out uh, about your brother out on me and like basically like fuck me until like I'm just skin and bones. Yeah, she does. say <laughs> yeah, that. It's like, whoa. Like, All right, leave, Cher. Leave nothing left for him to marry. Nothing but the skin over my bones. And I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, I was like, please don't ever think about your brother while you're having sex with me. Like, I was like, this is such a weird way to set this up. But OK. Yeah. The fact that you think Ronnie was still listening to her by that point is hilarious. He was like, <laughs> nope, I don't care what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, it was all it was all mumbles at that point. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But she immediately is like, oh, well, I don't care. And I was like, all right. I mean, I get it, you know, but OK. Um, I, yeah. I have one one more thing to sort of round it out and then, you know, move on to to the rest of what we have to do. Um. I think, you know, again, sort of going back to like the differences between the relationships with the older characters and their characters. Um, so the the aunt and uncle at the dinner party, he he tells that story about seeing the giant moon. 
um, and going to the window and seeing Cosmo the dad. This is back when he was first starting to date Rose um, and seeing this giant moon and seeing Cosmo there and thinking like, wow, did like Cosmo with his love for Rose bring this giant moon to our neighborhood, right? And I think it's like talking about how at the beginning of their relationship, there was also this sort of passionate love between the two of them. And we're seeing now, you know, 30 years removed, what has happened to their relationship in a way that like, okay, you see all this passion between Ronnie and Loretta right now. And like, okay, but what, what does that look like 20 years from now, 30 years yeah. from now? You know, I think that's interesting too. Yeah. Well, I think that also there's like two, two more quotes from this movie you know, if we're talking about not funny things, just things that I really enjoyed line wise. Um, I believe it's Raymond who was talking about Cosmo's moon and telling the story who he gets up when there's that full moon now and he goes, look, it's Cosmo's moon. And, you know, yada, yada. We have. These are the two characters who, like, despite their age, still have this passion for each other. And there's a line yeah. that Rita says that I found just fucking adorable. And I'm like, it's another moment where I was like, I'm in for these two. Let nothing bad happen to them. Where she says, in that light, with that expression on your face, you look 25 years old. And he just comes yeah. back to bed with her. And I was just like, let nothing bad happen to these two. They're perfect. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, Agreed. The other moment that was like, from a screenwriting point, it was just another line I loved about relationships and about, you know, I guess integrity, is when Rose is with John Mahoney's character. And he's really trying to get to that apartment with her, trying to get in with her, trying to, you know work his magic with her i guess and she says i can't invite you in because i'm married because i know who i am and it was just a moment that for me like with rose i was like i am down for this character that's why yeah. i think i that's why i think i didn't like the fact that she didn't demand more penance from cosmo because i was like look at this character who is like fucking knows who she is knows what she wants knows what should be happening and i was very disappointed to see like i guess him not get his just desserts for also not being there with her I, but I think that's part of the point of the movie, I guess, is that, I don't know, he fears death, he's scum, I don't know. Cosmo sucks. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. does suck. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that, you know, what we want, and by we, I mean the royal we, like what society wants from a movie like that, is to know that, you know, your your the passion between two people at the beginning of a relationship doesn't have to end because of life or age or circumstance or whatever like it it is something that can be maintained through work and you sort of see that it was there for the parents in the beginning and obviously it's gone now with him having an affair and you see this passion between Loretta and Ronnie and it it sort of leads you to believe that like it will eventually die and there doesn't really feel like a lot of hope for them um, especially with how Rose just accepts that men chase women because they fear death. And it just feels like a lot of hopelessness at the end of this movie, even though, you know, she gets what she wants. It's like she doesn't get a proposal on one knee. She doesn't get a ring. She isn't going to have, you know, uh, the the wedding that she wants um presumably because Cosmo is paying for it and he said that he's cheap and it just feels like there's not a like a nice bow where you're like wow I do believe in love it kind of feels like no I guess no matter how good it feels at first you will be cheated on in the end <laughs> you know and whatever like you were hoping for whatever fairy tale you wanted like you're not gonna get it so just like be happy with what you got yeah. and I kind of I don't know it just left me feeling a little bit like oh 
you know, like I, I, I was hoping to feel a little bit more uplifted than that. I do think that speaks that's to life, baby. The yeah. The movie feels somewhat realistic in that sense that it's like, <laughs> yeah, like 75% of the couples in this movie suck. Like they're terrible. Yeah. That's why I'm like Rita and Raymond. Like if the movie's <laughs> about Rita and Raymond, you'd be happy because you're like, love is great, <laughs> but that is not what most of these people are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Don't be, I don't don't be a Loretta and Ronnie. Be a Rita and Raymond. That's that's yeah. the takeaway here. Like, if I really wanted, like, a realistic take on what happens to people, you know, after 30 years of marriage, like, I just go home and hang out with my parents. But, like, who wants that, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Bring me the big knife. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, oh man. But Scott... uh, I so I think that pretty much uh, covers everybody's opinions for the most part. Dylan, would you like to get to the facts? That is right where I was going with this. Scott, you ready to go to the facts? Let's go. I want the truth! Face the facts, dokes. Facts have no place with an organized religion. We're going to start with uh, where we normally do with some ratings. IMDb gives this a 7.1 out of 10 on the tomato <laughs> meter. Is that too high or too low? Well, I, I think I, I can guess where that reaction is, but yeah, the tomato meter gives it 92%, an average rating of 7.9 out of 10, 67 fresh reviews and six rotten, an audience score of 80% with an average score of four out of five. The movie was directed by Norman. I'm Jewison. sorry. Wait, can I, can I, can I butt in? I'm so sorry. But I just ask, do you, so you guys are, are you not on letterbox? You don't include the letterbox course. I do not. What's that? I, I know of Letterbox, like, but I don't go on it really. I think I think you should get on there. Start logging. I'll follow you. I'll it feels like me. I'd waste so much time on there. I think that's why I'm not getting on there because I'm like I will fall into this quickly. Yeah. Uh, well, well, just for people interested, it has a 3.7 out of five Letterbox. Thank you. Interesting. Um, <laughs> the movie was directed by Norman Jewison, who I told my brother we were doing this movie, and who directed, and he said that that name doesn't sound real. But he was directed by Norman Jewison, who also directed The Hurricane, In the Heat of the Night, and Justice for All, and Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, it was. Do you do you know Do you know that he was hired for Fiddler on the Roof because they assumed he was Jewish and he is not? That's incredible, and it yeah. totally tracks. It does track. Great I film, think that though. was another fun fact in there too. Great film. Yeah. That's uh, one of those weird ones that we watched a lot as kids because it was like judaism <laughs> i'm like yeah. you and scott or you and me but i guess that was you and me yeah you I and me kids. i don't remember all are watching a fiddler on the roof but i I remember seeing fiddler on the roof on broadway oh of course yes it was written by john patrick uh shanley it my thing autocorrected to john patrick stanley and i'm like no that is not irish enough uh who also wrote the movies doubt congo alive and joe versus the volcano classic the movie stars Cher as Loretta, who you may know also from Mermaids, which is not Beaches. Uh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go is. Again, and The Player. Uh, Nicolas Cage is Ronnie, who you may know from Vampire's Kiss, Face Off, The Rock, a whole bunch of shit we've already mentioned here. Olympia Dukakis as Rose, who you may know from Steel Magnolias, Mafia, and the Look Who's Talking movies. Danny Aiello as Johnny, who you may know from Do the Right Thing, Leon the Professional, and Hudson Hawk. Vincent Cardenia as Cosmo, who you may know from Death Wish, Little Shop of Horrors, and Bang the Drum Slowly, which can't believe is not the name of a porn. And lastly, John <laughs> Mahoney as Perry, who you may know from Say Anything and as the delightful father on Frasier. Um, at the 1988 Academy Awards, this movie won Best Actress for Cher, Best Supporting Actress for Olympia Dukakis, Best Original Screenplay for John Patrick Shanley, and was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Director. Uh, so it had a wow. budget of 15 million dollars it grossed 81 million dollars 
Let's get to the critics' consensus and the reviews. Led by energetic performances from Nicolas Cage and Cher, Moonstruck is an exuberantly funny tribute to love and one of the decade's most appealing comedies. Leonard Maltin said, Moonstruck made me laugh, as any good comedy should. But this rare and wonderful movie did something more. It also made me smile. That's because, unlike most contemporary mm. comedies, Moonstruck isn't a collection of gags. It's a picture of genuine humor. Joel Siegel from the Chicago Reader. Charmingly executed and hopeful, Moonstruck is a spun sugar movie. It doesn't nourish the mind, but for those who aren't terribly demanding about their movie fare, it's a sweet treat. Candace Frederick from Real Talk Online. At times funny and clever, Moonstruck asks the question, what does it mean to be in love and is it ever okay to settle? Janet Maslin from the New York Times. The title refers to one relative's theory that the full moon can make people wildly romantic, make them behave in wonderful, unpredictably crazy ways. Not crazy enough. And last one from Roger Ebert, who gave it four stars. Reviews of the movie tend to make it sound like a madcap ethnic comedy, and that it is. But there is something more here, a certain bittersweet yearning that comes across as ineffably romantic and a certain magical quality. Now, I do have some more like fun facts here, but I don't think of this movie as comedic as I feel like those reviews painted out to be. Yeah. Um, Agree. It's definitely not like. They, they made a point of saying, like, this isn't a gag a minute comedy. And I'm like, it's definitely not, because this is a movie that has, like, <laughs> a couple funny lines. But, like, I would squarely put this as, like, drama, maybe dramedy even. You know yeah, what I mean? It has a, a couple of gags that I actually think don't work, like the suitcase thing where he gets in the cab and leaves the suitcases. <laughs> I did laugh at the suitcase the ca- thing. I don't know. I was just like, <laughs> this feels so out of place. I'm, like, waiting for the big moment. And then I'm like, really? We have to do this three times? I do get that because it's like, you're waiting for a conflict at that point, but I, I did laugh at that 100%. Yeah. Okay. Um, A couple fun facts here. The first one I didn't write down, but I just remember it because we were talking so much about La Boheme at the beginning. Uh, originally, it started out with the music from La Boheme instead of That's Amore. Uh, but apparently, test audiences were like checking out immediately. They were like, what is this, some kind of art picture starting with this opera music? So like <laughs> Norman Jewson was like, we got to change this. This is no good. Um, The studio was having trouble getting That's Amore. And... They were having a hard time getting it from the label for some reason. And Norman Jewison was like, that's fine. I'll just call up Dean Martin and get this squared away. And Dean Martin helped him get the music for the movie because they just knew each other. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Um, another thing, Nicolas Cage's screen test did not impress the studio and they wanted to get someone else to play Ronnie. But Cher insisted that Nicolas Cage was the only one to play the role and threatened to quit unless he was hired. After a few days, the studio relented. But the studio did have her screen test with another actor. The other actor who was almost Ronnie was Peter Gallagher. Ooh. Wow. That would have been fun. I can't see him being over the top like Cage's, but it Peter Gallagher's a good different. actor. Yeah. Great eyebrows. Great eyebrows. Yeah. Um, Norman Jewison was also fined by the actors' union for not allowing the actors to go to lunch until they perfected the moods of the characters for the climactic scene in the kitchen. Wow. He'd be fine today. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Uh, while filming between takes Cher mentioned to Olympia Dukakis that the movie was going to be a dud she originally thought that she was giving a bad performance and of course she went on to win the Oscar and Golden Globe the customers leaving the Camareri's bakery as Cher is entering are the parents of Martin Scorsese wow okay it's the, that's the weirdest that's the most out of nowhere fun fact I saw this whole time I was like what the fuck do those things have to do with each other that's crazy Uh, The line snap out of it was voted as the number 96 movie quote by the American Film Institute. 
And this was ranked number eight on the American Film Institute's list of the 10 greatest films in the romantic comedy genre. Okay. Shara stated that acting was too demanding after being diagnosed with Epstein-Barr syndrome in the late 1980s. Her biggest regrets regarding her acting career include turning down roles in Thelma and Louise, The Addams Family, The Piano, and Death Becomes Her. You know, I'm just going to say it. Cher feels too iconic. Like, Cher is Cher. It's very hard to imagine her as anybody else because she's just got that voice. And I don't know. Yeah. That's how I, I feel. She's yeah. fine. That's how I feel about most musicians when I see them in movies. Like, I, I don't like seeing Lady Gaga in anything because I'm like, you're just Lady Gaga. Stop Disagree. it. Disagree entirely. Star's Born but is so good, though. That's okay. I still haven't seen it. I've heard <laughs> enough of it. I've heard. I enough. just felt like I didn't need to be that depressed. It was probably oh for the God. best. Have you seen the other ones? No. <laughs> oh my God. We had we've had this conversation before. Um, maybe I'm I'll sure watch we it. Have. We'll see. Just a couple left. Olympia Dukakis said her daughter was going to college on credit cards when Moonstruck came along and turned things around for her. So I thought that was real nice. It's nice Good for her. Um, and last thing before the movie was called Moonstruck, the original title was The Wolf and the Bride bad yeah i get why but that sucks yeah it's not great that is all the facts that i have and since we're done with the facts we're going to take a break from talking to scott about moonstruck and talk about some mail we got on the nice guys all right let's do it when you control the mail you control information mom asked me to ask you if there's any mail for us here by mistake what let's start with the comments we got a comment from the one and only scotty cameron Daddy. He gives us the time code, 53 minutes and 21 seconds. Oh, dear. TMI on my part. Looking back, I think there may have been a way to consolidate that information as to why some movies, trading company locations are named Vintage Stock and others are Entertain Mark. Ah, this is about his previous, I guess, in our previous video, how we were reading the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think that might have been like the second longest message we ever got uh, with Pedro's message. That was like every movie you've talked about so far. And the 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 complete and and full historical uh, discussion of Nicolas Cage's acting style. It was impressive, though, that Pedro email. Like, if I were grading oh, yeah. that, I'd have to give it a good grade. I mean, yeah, that was honestly, like, out of control. Whereas Scotty's informational, and he tends to grade us on our factual accuracy? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he keeps us in check. It was something I found odd and interesting as to why the coupons I get have three different names for the same store. Dylan, you said you want to work at a video store when you were younger. You wouldn't happen to be talking about Blockbuster or Family Video, would you? I remember when those stores were a thing. What about Which, Hollywood Video, Scotty? Well, that may have been a regional thing. Because the ones I think right. of when I think of video stores are, like, as far as chains, are Blockbuster Video and Hollywood Video. Hmm. Um, Those are the two that I always thought of. I do once in a while now see, like, I guess family-owned video stores. And you're like, this is cool. I don't know how they make money, but it's cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. Actually, side note, there's this store um, in Midtown and it's designed. It's like it, the front of the store makes you think it's a video store. But if you look closely, it's like a porn store. You know what I mean? Where they like sell videos, quote unquote. And um, the store is called Video Video. And the first time we ever walk past it, Corey points it and goes, they're not even trying. <laughs> I was just about to say this before you even said that. Every time Giselle and I are in New York City. And we're walking around. I will stop and go, ooh, videos, movies. And then I see the adult and I'm like, oh, man. 
Yeah, not the kind you're looking for. No, Giselle, I didn't want to take you to go get porn. I was really hoping (laughs) that they'd sell DVDs that I could look at. Nope. The only DVD place left for me that is actually just sells like movies and records is called Mr. Cheapo. So I don't know how many they have of them. I think it might just be a Long Island thing. Oh, I've seen that. You should go to Mr. Cheapo. They rock. Okay, thank you. I, I probably won't. You're welcome. We got a couple emails now. We got one from Mark. Oh, goody, another catch-up email. Howdy, Dylan and Gab. Hope you're not sick of these yet, but here's more of my thoughts on the movies you have covered on the podcast that I have seen in order of what you... In order of when you covered them. Okay. Hercules. Of Disney's Renaissance-era movies, this was honestly one of the weaker entries. It definitely wasn't bad, as there were a lot of good things in it. The animation was top-notch, the songs Go the Distance, Zero to Hero, and I Won't Say I'm in Love were all great, and the voice performances were great, too. Gab, can you sing any of I Won't Say I'm in Love right now? Do you actually know any lyrics to that song, or are you like, that's the title of a song that's in Hercules? No chance, no way, I won't say it, oh no. Well, I have made myself look like a dickhead. (laughs) Yes, you have. That's okay. Go the Distance just makes me think of that song by Cake where it's like, he's going the distance. Oh, you know yeah, that's about? a horrendous song. Yeah. I like that song. Um, the voice performances were great, too, primarily from Danny DeVito's Phil, James Wood's Hades, and Susan Evans' Meg. And yet, there was just something about this one that just didn't click with me the way other Disney animated films of the 90s did. There were better ones that came before it, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin and Lion King, and after it, Mulan and Tarzan. I think I agree with all of those except Tarzan. Tarzan, for some reason, I don't. I it doesn't do it for me. Yeah, same. Um, also, what was up with the random Latino slander gab? Only three famous and talented people among us. What did we do to deserve that? Let's just move on, shall we? I don't recall Wait, you saying that. I don't gab. recall that at all. I he he putting that onus on you. Yeah, I mean, listen. I, I'll I'll like I'll own up to it and apologize if I'm wrong. I don't remember what I said. Um, yeah, all right, all right. You heard oh, it. Oh well, Gab was wrong. Yeah, the room. <laughs> Did you know that there's now a black and white remake starring Bob Odenkirk? Wild. What? I think I've, I feel like I heard about that. Is that available online? I asked Mark, who can't answer me right now. I love Bob Odenkirk. Let's go. Anywho. I remember seeing this for the first time in full with an audience a few years ago. It was one of those Rocky Horror Picture Show type screenings where the audience would shout things at the screen and throw spoons every time that frame picture of the spoon was in a shot. It was one of the most fun theater experiences I've ever had in my life, and I wish I could do one of those again. Robocop, one of the best films to ever come out of the 1980s. Ironically enough, this movie is like a well-oiled machine in that every part and aspect of it feels expertly crafted. Verhoeven's direction, Peter Weller's lead performance, the terrific supporting cast, the terrific script with its themes and aspects of satire that still feel cutting to this day. I could go on. Yikes. <laughs> the Truman <laughs> Show. Whenever I'm home and feeling sick, somehow this movie always plays on TV. It's a weird coincidence. Anywho, this is a big favorite of mine. Jim Carrey gave his best performance of his career in this. The supporting cast is terrific. Andrew Nichols' script is phenomenally written and a screenplay I always look to for inspiration. Sleepless in Seattle. Definitely one of the better romantic comedies I've seen. The buildup to when Hanks and Ryan meet in person for the first time at the end is skillfully done and very satisfying. I probably prefer this over You've Got Mail, but that one still works just as well, too. I think I'm very surprised because I've seen a few people say that they prefer Sleepless in Seattle. To me, You've Got Mail is the Christmas vacation of the of the two of these. <laughs> yeah, which you still haven't seen. Vacation. 
I don't need to. I've heard it's way better. I will just I will assume that people are right. Well, after Thanksgiving, it's happening. Oy vey. The Fugitive. It's one of those movies that I'll catch on TV at any point in the story and just stop what I'm doing and watch. Terrific lead performances from Ford and Jones. The scene at the beginning when the police are questioning Richard and begin to accuse him of murdering his wife is heartbreaking. You feel Kimball's anger and pain and sympathize with him right then and there. Also, again, I just need to hear about the scene and I can think of, there was a man in my house. You find this man. <laughs> you find this man. Are you saying I killed my wife? Can I crushed her skull? He does it good, but it just all I can think of is just like, Harrison Ford emotional just feels weird to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also like how the film never fully makes Marshall Sam Gerard an antagonist, that he solely puts the pieces together himself on Richard's innocence. The film never ceases to be a thrilling and engaging experience, no matter how many times I see it. And finally, my cousin Vinny. Seeing this movie at a young age really solidified one of my celebrity crushes in Marissa Tomei. For everyone of a certain age, Mark, you're not alone. Sure, Joe Pesci and Ralph Macchio are both great in the movie, along with supporting players like Fred Gwynn, but this is her movie, hands down. Oh, I yeah. do find it funny when you listen to our My Cousin Vinny episode that, like, I feel like it's like a half hour in that you you all of a sudden go, we haven't mentioned Marissa Tomei once, goddammit. Yeah, I was upset. Well, you know, there was a lot to talk about, but it just kind of went on a little too long for my liking. Maybe it's just the fact that it's like, it's so obvious to the three of us that we didn't even think about mentioning it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I think that's all the ones I've seen. There are plenty the two of you have covered that I know I still need to see, so I'll get to those whenever I can. I also have a few suggestions for movies to cover on future episodes. What We Do in the Shadows, which is actually on my list of movies. Mm. AI, Artificial Intelligence, which I remember fucking hating. Maybe I would go back and like it more, but I hated that movie when I first saw it. Interesting. Lady Bird, which I've seen now and is quite good, but I just thought of King of the Hill. The dog is named Lady Bird, so I just, I'm hearing Hank Hill go, Lady Bird. Oh my God. Hollywood Shuffle, The Night of the Hunter, The Great Muppet Caper, and Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. Huh. No clue what that last one is. I'd be more than happy to be a guest on any of these. Just say the word. And I'm going to say something that people I feel like need to be told. You give me the word because I'm not going to like one day be like, I got to go to Mark about the great Muppet paper. Muppet, the Muppet caper. God damn it. You come <laughs> to me, Mark, and we'll work it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Until yeah. then, Dylan, always tell Gab that she rules because she does. And I'll catch you on the bat wagon. Your pal, Mark. Thanks, Mark. We like Mark. Okay. Coming in next, we got an email from Brian about the Nice Guys episode. I stumbled across your podcast a few months back after watching the complete W2F. I am just not no, having, you're on fire today. I'm having yeah. a hard time with words. Ugh. But you know what? We just keep pressing through. The complete what the fuck that was Vampire's Kiss and looking for other people's conversations about it. I think it's like the King's Speech. If I actually just curse, I'll be able to get through talking more. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen that movie, so. Well, he stops stuttering because he curses a lot. Oh, maybe that's why you and I don't have stutters. Well, you actually don't curse all that much, considering like the family we came from. I feel I like curse I curse like a, a sailor. Uh, okay. Why are sailors known for cursing? I digress. Um, I just I don't think they had women on their ships, so they were free to speak freely. I don't think as society we didn't curse because women were. <laughs> maybe no, maybe like it was a thing was of like being gentlemanly. I don't know. Maybe. I very much enjoyed your personalities and chemistry and immediately subscribed and binged past episodes. I will admit, I roll my eyes every time I hear the why you should listen to us section where you boast about your credentials. Yet I regularly hear you say things like, what did David Fincher direct again? And who is James Gunn? 
as well as an ever-growing list of classic movies, both old and new, that one or both of you admit having not seen. Maybe just say, we love watching and talking about movies instead of presenting yourselves as some kind of experts. Still, I listen and enjoy. I mean, we're not experts. I don't think we ever proclaimed to be experts. But... Here's the thing I, I think maybe is being lost a little bit in translation. I think there's a lot of jest in that. So, for example, uh, Dylan, your birthday is coming up soon. You will also be 31. We will both be 31. Happy early birthday to you. It's a couple days from now. Um, so when we talk about what we majored in in college, we're talking about like 10 over 10 years ago at this point. Right. Yeah. Because we graduated in 14. Um, so it's nine uh, years for, ago. for a grown adult to say, you know, well, I have a degree and it's like it, it's in jest. I mean, I haven't been in the industry in uh, since I'm 22. So that's almost 10 years. Like, I, you know, I mean, I don't I certainly on no circumstance do I think that I'm an expert. And I think bragging about what we majored in in college is is not meant to be taken as seriously right like am i mistaken i don't take myself seriously as like <laughs> i'm an expert in anything um i i do think like we often also say in our like why listen to us is because we're also just passionate about movies and love watching movies and i know that i used to botch saying it all the time and be like we like movies yes we do we like movies and we hope you do too and like that's that is basically the synopsis of like really why you should listen to us if you just like movies and want to hear other people talk about movies that you also like yeah. And also this podcast was born of Dylan talking to me about movies that I had never seen because I have like famously not seen a lot of very classic movies. There are some classic movies that are just too classic for me to address on this podcast that you haven't seen. Yeah. And it upsets me every time I think about those movies. Well, we also decided we weren't going to talk about like the greatest films of all time. You know, these were going to kind of be like B-list really great movies. We're trying um, to more so stay away from like the most obvious because we've still done like quite a few movies that won an Academy Award for something, but aren't necessarily like the most popular movie of all time or the most renowned movie of all time necessarily. Right, right. Also, though, it's um, our podcast and I can do whatever movie I feel yeah, like. We make the rules. But yeah, so I think hopefully, uh, you know, at least now that it's very clear that there's there's a lot of just in, in us proclaiming to have expertise in things, um, followed by a discussion about, you know, silly shit. Sometimes literally like in across uh, like in the Spider-Verse episode when we were literally talking about shitting ourselves. Yeah. Um, by the way, I got shit on by a bird today. And the first thing I thought was <laughs> the the shit reaper got me. It was aiming for Corey and Miss. <laughs> it, it was. It was. He gets shit on all the time. And then there it was. It got me right in the shoulder. Occasionally, like any podcast I enjoy, something is said that rubs me the wrong way. For example, when Gab said something like anyone who's into New York's idea of live theater is their local high school or community center productions. I don't remember the exact wording. It just came across as a snobby condescending New Yorker. I happen to be in the Chicago area and we have a huge theater industry here with plenty of major productions and smaller ones going at all times. And many, many other cities across the country do as well. But I digress. Anything to say, you snobby fuck? Yeah. Um. I... Th <sighs> I'm trying to think if I really want to address this or if I just want like um, I think realistically, like there's a it's now I'm stuttering, which sounds the worse. I think there's just like a like a caricature of New Yorker. Midwestern uh, Midwesterners that I 
just portray for fun. I mean, I'm obviously like, although it's been a long time, I was in this industry. I'm very familiar with the Chicago scene. I know a lot of people that do national tours. I know a lot of people that do regional theater and different theater, you know, theaters across the country that are renowned. Like, I think that just kind of goes without saying. Again, I think there was a lot of jest in that that is not necessarily like being understood. Um, But, you know, that's okay. I, I definitely play the role of the coastal New York elitist um and i always have and i was married to somebody from the midwest and i think it's ridiculous you know what i mean like it's just it, again it's all unjust being I've been all is ridiculous or being in the midwest is ridiculous i was like well, that all could of go the above way, yeah. dylan all of the above okay it was this week's episode discussing the nice guys that really bothered me gap spent the entire episode criticizing russell crowe's appearance calling him out for yes, being I fat did. numerous times Yes, she played it off the first time as an equality issue, saying they would never let a starring woman look like that. But it quickly became apparent that it wasn't about wishing women were treated equally and could just look natural. No, she just kept calling out how fat and gross he was at random points in the episode. Strictly as a criticism of him, despite the weight of the character he was portraying having nothing to do with the character or the plot. If a man was on a movie podcast and spent the entire episode discussing how fat an actress was, people would lose their damn minds. And especially coming from someone who we know is so heavily into fitness, it really came across as elitist and condescending. I hate yeah. that my... Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. Was that the end of that thought? That is the end of the thought, yes. Okay. Um. Yeah, again, I mean, I... I think there's a level of jest that is brought to the podcast by me in almost every episode. That's my goal, right? Like we can talk about the movie all we want, but I think there's like a level of silliness that comes with talking about shitting yourself and talking about, uh, you know, what are some of the other things like what, what were you a horse girl in school and you know, whatever, um, how fat is Russell Crowe? That is not genuinely my only thought or opinion. Perhaps the takeaway that I'm getting from Brian is we shouldn't just, though, about the looks and appearances of the people. Unless it's like, they have a peg leg. I don't know. The one-armed man. We can make fun of the one-armed man. He's a murderer. Yeah, I, I suppose. I don't know. I, I I guess I suppose it's sexist to say that it's okay to do it to a man and not to a woman. Because I genuinely do that truly believe. That is the definition believe. of sexism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just I I would I would have hoped and I think the reason that I was joking about it the whole episode is that people would understand that I was just kidding. Russell Crowe is a renowned actor. He's incredible. His performance was great. Um obviously I think he was terrible in Lame Is, but you know, besides that, um and you know, again, I think the definition of humor is making this like there's there's humor in in making the same silly point over and over again and i do that to you constantly where i just continue to bring up the same thing over and over again for no reason um and i don't think that russell crowe is less of a person or an actor or a good actor because of the way he looks i just don't particularly like russell crowe and i thought it would be funny to bring it up on the podcast but anyway i think the bottom line is that there's a lot of things in here that i do a lot as jokes that maybe are being lost in translation well let's bring it home now on brian's email here i hate hate is in all caps mm. gab no that's not what it says <laughs> <laughs> uh, i hate that my first email to you is a negative one as i've long intended to write in to express my enjoyment and appreciation for your podcast and I've now probably blacklisted myself. But please take no. this criticism in the constructive manner in which it is intended, Brian. Brian, I appreciate this. Also, I think 
Dylan and I have very thick skin. This is not upsetting in any way. Um, I have incredibly thin skin, Gab. I'm glad most of that was directed at you. I would not be able to handle it emotionally, mentally, maybe even physically. I don't spiritually for certain. Yeah, Dylan would have been in bed for six days, but luckily I'm pretty good at handling this. Um, I, I could appreciate be in bed for the honesty. Six days anyway. <laughs> I oh my could God, not same. get out of bed ever. Same. Um, <sighs> yeah. Um, I think I completely understand all of those points. I think my only response is like, it's all in jest. It's very much just a very silly, lighthearted, not none of it is meant. And I'd like to take this opportunity to clarify a couple of things that were jokes. Um, Dylan, I don't think Clerks is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I've seen way worse movies. It was fine. So Sweet. anytime I say Clerks was the worst movie ever, I'm joking. When I tell people to Venmo me, I'm joking. I don't really mean it. I don't need your money. I have a job. Um, I'm like, should, I, should I knock on wood? Because I feel like that would be the ultimate, like, instant oh my God, imagine. moment. <laughs> imagine. Um, okay. Yeah, there are plenty of things that I am just kidding about. Russell Crowe being grotesque. He's not that bad. Um, I don't know. I There are so many things. Georgia Rule, don't hit me with fish. Not the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, lots of things brought up on this podcast simply in jest. I will say, though, I can't not think of that when I see Dermot Mulroney now. I know. Well, I think about it all the time, constantly. You'd be amazed at how many times it comes up where somebody, like, gets hit with a fish or sees a fish or you're, you come close to a fish or something and it just comes into your head. I was going to say, um, are you seeing people get hit by fish that frequently? Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, I also just want to say, Brian, we would never blacklist you. I very much appreciate oh, yeah. the constructive criticism. If you were just being a dick, maybe then we'd blacklist you if you were like, I hate you both and you suck. I'd be like, okay, we don't need to read that next week. (laughs) This email was fine, Brian. And if you ever want to email again, we will be glad to read it. Yeah. Also, I'd be interested to know what Brian's thought was on me saying that uh, what's his face was not attractive and had really big ears. I mean, I see people aren't attractive all the time. That's why I'm saying maybe from what Brian is saying, we should stop paying attention to people's looks as often. It feels like he was only upset about Russell Crowe. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, Either way, I feel like about that episode. I feel like this is. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I I think just like I would say you have to separate the art from the artist. Um, I think you have to separate what's real from what's a joke. And I promise, when I'm being sincere, you will know. But there is very very few times on this podcast that I am being sincere. <laughs> Dylan's the facts. I'm the humor. Let's get that straight. And if this were on video, Dylan would be the book smarts and I'd be the Street other smarts? Kind of smarts. I was trying to say that I was better looking, but I just like I said smart for you and I said video and I got nervous. Also, <sighs> you can't see either of us. That don't make any sense either. If it were on video, you would be the, You're whatever out the you are. smarts right now. God damn it. I know. I know. Listen, I fucked up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, so we issued Cavs' oh, apology. Oh, that's the last thing. That's the last thing that I want to clarify. Zach, uh, from the my cousin video episode, Zach doesn't actually want you to send him nudes. Just in no, case that, that might not got be lost in translation. I, <laughs> I don't but, know uh, if that was a joke we don't, or not. We don't condone that. We don't endorse you sending them to us to show him. So if you can yeah, find a way please. to find him, go right yeah. ahead. So now that that's all been been cleared up, 
we can move on. So thank you, Brian, Mark, Scotty, for your stiff. I take all of it to heart. And I Gab, don't. Gab takes none of it, but yeah. we will Gab, go forward. Gab is unaffected, but does appreciate the engagement. And now let's get back to, uh, should we get back to talking to Scott about Moonstruck? Please. Do or do not. There is no try. The guilty will be punished. Sentence to death. Scott, this was your pick, so hit us. Okay. I I honestly didn't think I was coming in here to be the the sole defender of this movie, but I guess I am. Um, But I shouldn't have to be. Like you said, you know, it's on that AFI list of 10 greatest romantic comedies of all time. Uh, It won three Oscars. Um, I'm stalling, I guess. I think this is a movie that you should see before you die um, because of its incredible Nicolas Cage performance. It's um, interesting and unconventional uh, uh, use of, you know, of, of flawed relationships that make you think and uh, reflect. And, um, and it's just a fun time. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I did not give a good closing argument there. That was okay. You, you've you done enough throughout the episode that we understand. You. Dylan, you want to go next or you want me to go? It's up to you. I feel like either way it's going to be fine. Do you want me to go next? Yeah. Well, actually, no. Let me go because I think mine's a little bit more obvious and I'm a little sure. on the edge of my seat about yours. Um, I think as a woman... I think as somebody who has been in a flawed relationship, I think we've all been in flawed relationships, but I'll say firmly as someone who's been in a failed relationship, maybe I think that's fair to say. Um, (laughs) I don't love that this movie leaves you believing that it is just inevitable. Um, I think this movie leads you to believe that there is no such thing as a successful relationship or one that, um, can stand the test of time. I think this movie leads you to believe that it is better to be in a relationship with someone that you don't really care that much about so that you can't get hurt. Um, I think that it is just lacking in the real magic that you look for when you are falling in love with someone or believing maybe that you could love someone and um i just didn't buy it but i will say i think that nicolas cage is like i mean it's like watching it's like watching somebody it's like it's like watching the hibachi chef make a volcano and then make the fire come out of the volcano it's like i i get it but it's still really cool to watch um it's uh it's 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 very interesting. I didn't love it. I was really hoping that this was going to be like a romantic comedy that I was going to make me cry and make me emotional and and it did not at all. Um and I just don't see the share appeal and I also think everyone was ugly. Thank you. God, you really had to bring wow. it back to everyone is ugly. But um <laughs> yeah. I will say it's interesting. I feel like Scott is this firm yes, you're this firm no and I feel like I'm 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 neither. I didn't disagree with anything you said virtually this entire time, Scott. I really don't think I did. Um, 
I feel like if we were just talking about the Nicolas Cage performance, it's 100% a, a Cage performance to watch. He's yes. great in it. I think he is. The problem is, I think he's the only part of this movie that I'll remember. If you ask me a year from now, like, tell me about Unstruck, I'll be like, yeah, Nicolas Cage is really cool in it. And there's that part where he's like, Johnny's got his bride, Johnny's got his hat. Like, <laughs> that that will stick with me for years. Yeah. The yeah. rest of this movie, not as much. And, you know, maybe it's just that our, our sensibilities have changed somewhat because I like I was shocked to hear this even called like a romantic comedy because I'm like, it's romantic. I don't think it's that comedic. Like it obviously sprinkles in comedy, but it's it's not there for me in a lot of ways. It's certainly not bad. I certainly wouldn't talk anyone away from watching this movie. I'm like, if if you have the opportunity, this movie comes on the TV, I'm not going to be like, change the channel. You kind of get away from it. Like for me, that movie, if we're talking about that romantic comedy, that's Trainwreck. Trainwreck is the movie that I'm like, <laughs> get the fuck away from that movie. But this movie, it was, it was perfectly fine. I had a perfectly pleasant time. And, you know, it's like like uh like ronnie's bread it feels sort of like it's empty carbs that are just going to going to be gone in a little bit wow um, shots fired wow. at the bread yeah i love bread <laughs> i love bread Bread's <laughs> where it's at bread with butter the tops yeah but it's not bad it's just not there for me i'm also gonna be a no wow i appreciate you coming here i appreciate your defense of it because like yeah. i said there were times where I, you were coming back and things we said and i was like that's a good point. There was yeah, a lot of times yeah. where I felt that way. So, but look, it it's a high bar movie to watch before you die. That's a high bar. You yeah, guys are building a very selective canon. I also there is some really stuff feel... in here. Go on. No, no, no. Yeah, we're about to say the same thing. I was just gonna say I feel like the bar specifically for Nicolas Cage movies is extraordinarily high now. <laughs> I I'm still telling you at uh -huh. some point that I will bring Face Off on here. And I would like to bring Con Air. So, you know, we'll get there. Wow. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I would love to have you back at some point. Yeah, I would love to come back. I'll do yeah, a not... musical if I come back. Just that as would a be warning. great. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I 100% yeah. want your musical opinions because I do feel yeah. like that is somewhere where I lack in my knowledge. So I did very Which much appreciate musical? you. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, there, there are a lot to choose from. The one that I think we also talked about was Xanadu. Um, Olivia Newton John. Is yeah, Olivia Newton John, and uh, it's it's insane. It's a wild, wild ride. Would Gene you ever want to do there. the last five years, the Anna Kendrick version? Yeah, the only version. Yeah, I would do that. I haven't seen it. That's crazy to me. I know. No, I we just, gotta do I, that. I'm, we gotta do I'm that. afraid that it, it will disappoint me deeply. This is this is a Dylan, my favorite musical of all time. But they oh, made I know. a movie You've that mentioned it before. Oh, have I? They oh, yeah. made a movie that I think bombed very badly. Yeah, I I well we'll have to we'll have to talk about it another yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to we'll have to have you come on to talk about it. <laughs> um Dylan, tell the people where they can they can reach us. Well, before we tell the people where they can reach us, Scott, where they can, where can they reach you? Give yeah. a shout out of yourself. Yeah, I, I found plug. out recently you have a podcast. Sorry, I do have sorry, a podcast. sorry. I have a podcast. It's called "This Is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life." It's a very succinct and catchy title of a podcast. <laughs> of course. Um, it is a podcast where I interview, you know, musicians and and writers and other creative people about their musical tastes and the their favorite songs. And uh, we're on a little bit of a break, but we're coming back in the fall. And uh, it's a lot of fun. You can find us 
anywhere you listen to podcasts or find us on social media. It's, it's great song pod. That's GR number eight song pod, because you can't uh, have a Instagram handle. That's this is the greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life. It's a little too <laughs> fair, fair. And you can find me on online, you know, my name at Twitter and other things that aren't Twitter. I don't know. Yeah. Great. That's where you can find Scott. And if you want to find us, you can click on the link tree below to find us in any other place you want to. If you're listening on YouTube right now and you want to find us on Stitcher, too bad. Stitcher doesn't exist anymore. But if you want to find us on Google Podcasts, it's in the link tree. Everything is in the link tree. Even Gab's Venmo. Um, Oh, yeah. Gab, if you want to send us an email, where do you do that? Well, Dylan, if you want to send us an email, step one, sit down at your computer. Step two, put a nice greeting. You know, don't just don't just jump in. You got to buy me dinner first. Compliments go a long way. Step three, tell us how you feel about this movie, any other movie, a movie you'd like us to watch, a movie that you don't want us to watch, a movie you think you should watch before you die, a movie you think you should die before you watch, or you can just let us know how insanely good looking you think we are compared to the cast of Moonstruck. And then you can send it away to movies to watch before you die at gmail.com. If you're sending me that email, don't you worry about that greeting. I like my emails hard and fast. Get right to that topic, baby. <laughs> tell, tell me everything I want to know. Um, you can also send us a voice note at anchor.fm slash movies to watch. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of voice notes. No, not really. I, I yeah. found that people do not use Anchor or what is now known as Spotify for podcasters, really. Yeah, yeah. That's but, fine. you know, you can send us whatever you want, however you want. If you want to send me that voice note, if you want to send me that voice note at movies to watch before you die at gmail.com, I'll take it there too. Anywhere you yeah, want yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listener. Nicholas Cage is something else, and uh, we're here for it. We are here for Cage. As, and listen, as Scott if you're, said if, earlier, this is the age of Cage, as all ages should yeah, be. Uh, agreed. He did not say and that, but I'm saying that. Yeah. And if you're going to propose to somebody, put put a put a slight amount of effort into it, I would say. At least get down on a knee. Yeah. You know, we've had a lot of movies on this podcast with some really shitty proposals, like your fucking Batman movie. Oh, come on. It's a great movie. Get past it. He got down on a knee. He got down. He did. He did. He did. So I suppose I suppose that both guys from this movie are lower on the totem pole than that. But, you know, it's I'm not even one of those so like, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, he did have a ring, right? From what Damn I recall. Straight. Damn yeah. straight. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I also the restaurant thing was right. Anyway, listen, that's not why we're here. So, no one's listening at this point anymore. Um, Dylan, have a great night. I'm going to eat dinner. How about you? I am also going to eat some food at some point. But thank you to the listeners. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Gab. And good God, good Greek, good meat. Let's eat. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> saying things now. We got to get out of here, Gab. <laughs> oh, my God. I've never heard that. All right. The listener, thank you so much. And uh, we out. Chrissy, over by the wall. Bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie. Bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut my throat. Maybe I should come back another time. No, I want you to see this. I want you to watch me kill myself so you can tell my brother Johnny on his wedding day, okay? Chrissy, bring me the big knife! I tell you, I won't do it! She won't.